Tyler's message this morning is the birth. If Lester Holt or our own Tom McClanahan had been living in 1809, their evening noon broadcast would have concentrated on Austria, not Britain, not America. The attention of the entire world was on Napoleon as he swept across helpless hamlets like fire across a Kansas wheat field. Nothing else was half as significant on the international scene. The broad brush strokes on the historian's canvas gave singular emphasis to the bloody scenes of tyranny created by this diminutive dictator of France. From Trafalgar to Waterloo, his name was synonymous with superiority. So at this time when the invasions and battles, and there were babies born in Britain and America. But who was interested in babies and bottles and cradles and cribs while history was being made? What could possibly be more important in 1809 than the fall of Austria? Who cared about English-speaking infants that year? Europe was in the limelight. But somebody should have, because a veritable host of thinkers and statesmen drew their first breaths in 1809. William Gladstone was born in Liverpool, who was prime minister of Britain four times. Alfred Lord Tennyson began his life in Lincolnshire as a poet. Oliver Wendell Holmes cried out in Cambridge, Massachusetts, was a physician and a poet and a statesman. Edgar Allan Poe, a few miles away in Boston, started his brief and tragic life as a writer. A physician named Darwin and his wife called their infant son Charles Robert, who was the father of the theory of evolution. Robert Charles Winthrop wore his first diapers as he was a philanthropist, Speaker of the House in Congress. And in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky, owned by an illiterate wanderer labor, was filled with the infant screams of a newborn boy named Abraham Lincoln. But at that time, there was more happened in 189, but who cared? The destiny of the world was being shaped on battlefields in Austria, or was that? No, indeed, only a handful of history buffs today could name even one Austrian campaign. But who can measure the impact of those other lives that were born during that year? What appeared to be a, a super significance to the world proved to be no more exciting than a Sunday afternoon yawn. What seemed to be totally insignificant was, in fact, the genesis of era and the impact that those people born had brought upon the world. Go back 18 centuries... Before that, who could have cared about a birth of a baby who was watching all the splendor of Rome, bounded on the west by the Atlantic, on the east by the Euphrates, on the north by the Rhine and Danube, on the south by the Sahara Desert? The Roman Empire was as vast as it was vicious. Political intrigue, racial tension, increased immorality, and enormous military might occupied everyone's attention. In conversation, Palestine existed under the heavy crush of Rome's heavy boot. All eyes were on Augustus, the cynical Caesar, who demanded a census to be term, determine the measurement to enlarge taxes. At that time, who was interested in a couple making an 80-mile trip south from Nazareth? Who could possibly, what could possibly be more important than Caesar's decree on decisions from Rome? Who cared about a Jewish baby born in Bethlehem? God did. Without realizing it, Augustus was only an errand boy 
for God himself, the fulfillment of Micah's prophecy and his prediction. Because in the book of Micah, it says that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. And how is that going to happen? God orchestrated that. I I think that's something that we, we... maybe miss in history. Everything that happened in history, God had his finger on it in some way. He has used people. He's used tyrants. He's used despots. He's used all manner of people to bring about the gospel of Christ. And this is just one instance. Augustus, Augustus didn't make that decree in a sense. God guided him to do it because he wanted Mary in Bethlehem when she gave birth He was a pawn in the hand of Jehovah, a piece of lint on the pages of prophecy. So while Rome was busy making history, God arrived. He pitched his fleshly tent in silence on straw in a stable under a star. The world didn't even notice. The world was reeling from the wake of Alexander the Great, Herod the Great, Augustus the Great. The world overlooked Mary's little lamb, and it still does. The world overlooks the greatest birth ever recorded. God shows up not in power and might, but in a newborn infant, helpless, at mercy, at the mercy of a human mom and dad. That brings the scripture when it talks about he humbled himself to a new level for me. (laughs) That God himself humbled himself enough to come and put himself at the mercy of a teenage girl and her husband. Amazing. Here's the story, Matthew 1, verse 18 through 25. Now this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. As he considered this, he fell asleep, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary. For the child within her had been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded, He brought Mary home to be his wife, but she remained a virgin until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. This birth was like no other birth in the history of the world because it was the birth. God himself has entered the world as a baby. Yet, were someone to chance upon the sheep stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem that morning, what a peculiar scene they would have behold. The stable stinks like all stables do. The stench of urine and dung and sheep reeks pungently in the air. And those of you that have been in barns and animal barns, you know when you open the door sometimes that if it's not been cleaned recently, it about knocks you down. But you think about that and you close your eyes and you can almost smell it. And you think that this is the first air that God himself breathed when he set forth on earth set foot on this earth. That's an amazing thing to me. He, he came in all humility. The ground is hard. The hay is scarce. Cobwebs cling to the ceiling and a mouse scurries across the dirt floor. 
in a more lowly place of birth could not exist. You can almost picture Joseph, the weary father now, that the excitement had subsided a bit. The pressure maybe in a sense was off him, but we think about that, and here he had just made a trip 80 miles with Mary, and I'm sure we all saw pictures. She was on a donkey, and he was leading her, and he did the walking. And all this time, I'm sure what was going on with his mind was this mystery about how could this happen, you know. And besides that, maybe Mary was different than a lot of pregnant women I've been around. Sometimes pregnant women aren't the easiest to be around. Anybody agree with that this morning? They might get a little pushy, and it's like living with five different women. <laughs> Somebody's told me that. I don't know that by experience, but I just wanted to say that this morning. So a lot of time in this picture, we don't, we don't divide the characters out and, and look at them and examine them. But we, take a, we think about Joseph, and I'm sure that his eyes are growing heavy. He can't f- figure it out, and... It's a mystery. It's a puzzle to him. But he hasn't the energy to wrestle with the questions. What's important is that the baby is fine and Mary is safe. And as sleep comes, he remembers the name the angel told him to use. Jesus. We will call him Jesus. For he will save his people for their sins. Now, I'm sure that he was processing that. Because he was one of the people that needed to be saved as well. Wide awake is Mary. My, how young she looks. Her head rests on the soft leather of Joseph's saddle. The pain has been eclipsed to, by wonder. She looks into the face of the baby, her son, her Lord, his majesty. And at that point in history, the human being who best understands who God is and what he's doing is a teenage girl in a smelly stable. She can't take her eyes off of him. Somehow, Mary knows she is holding God, God himself. So this is he, she remembered the words of the angel. His kingdom will never end. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He looks anything like a king. His face is punish and red. His cry, though strong and healthy, is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby, and he is absolutely dependent upon Mary for his well-being. So here was majesty in the midst of the mundane, holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat, divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable through the womb of a teenager and in the presence of a carpenter. And she touches the face of the infant God. How long was your journey? This baby had overlooked the universe. These rags keeping him warm were the robes of eternity. His golden throne room had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen. And worshiping angels had been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds. So this was going on, and meanwhile, the city of Bethlehem starts to wake up and goes through the motions. The merchants are unaware that God had visited their planet in their very hometown that the movement that would shake the world had started at their place. The innkeeper never would believe that he had just sent God into the cold. And the people would scoff at anyone who told them that the Messiah lay in the arms of a teenager on the outskirts of their village. 
They were all too busy to consider the possibilities that the Redeemer had come, that he was in their midst. Those who missed his majesty arrival that night missed it, not because of evil acts or malice. No, they missed it because they simply weren't looking, as many are not looking today. Little has changed in the last 2,000 years, and it will be the same on that day when that eastern sky splits and Christ comes to take his church home. There'll be a lot of bewildered people. There'll be a lot of people that remember the words that had been spoken to them in witness about Christ and the chance that he offers them for eternal life. And I'm not here to talk about prophecy this morning, but it just come to mind that there's going to be a lot of people that will miss that. But this morning, we're, we've come to the end of Advent. Advent means looking forward to the coming, the, the Sunday, four Sundays before Christmas, and we talk about that to get to this blessed event, which we celebrate today, and that's the birth of Christ. I don't know how it looked, but Hollywood's done such a good job of recreating that. I, I like this clip, the way that they showed the stable in a cave, because they did that back in those days. Let's watch. Maybe... Maybe Jesus' birth looks something like this. He sheltered from the wind. And apart from the animals, it's all ours. We can go up there in the straw. Get some water. I'll be back as soon as I can.
question this morning is we, we look at this and we think about the birth and we celebrate it every year but it comes down to has he been birthed in your heart that, that's, that's what you take out of here this morning and hopefully we were closer to him than maybe when we first came in the, the, the key text in that verse is, it's verse 21 where he, the angel says you should call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. As I read that verse, it says this to me. His name is Jesus, and he'll save Eddie from himself. That God has come to live in our lives, to save us from ourselves, because our old sinful nature wants to do other things than what God wants us to do. I love you guys. Merry Christmas to you. Father, right now as we pause on this Christmas Eve, I pray, God, that we are all your children. And if there are those here that are not, Holy Spirit, as you squeeze hearts this morning, that they might realize their need for a Savior, for a Redeemer, that you desire to be born new and fresh in their hearts, and that comes through confession and repentance. My Lord, it's easy for me to say I'm a sinner. And I need you in my life, and I ask you to forgive my sins. So, Father, right now, when we leave this place where we need to be with you so we can really celebrate Christmas as it should be celebrated. And as we sing, Father, if there be any here that needs prayed with, that they might come to this altar, or if they do need to be shown how to know you, that you give them that courage to make that walk. For we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.